Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert. My definite purpose in life is to encourage people to live positively with and through the many and varied challenges of life. You can find about more about me in this uh, interview at the radio website, which is journeytosuccessradio.com. My co-host today is the amazing Andreas Jones, uh, John Maxwell certified coach from the uh, Georgia area, I think Atlanta. Introduce yourself, uh, please, Andreas. Hey, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is Andreas Jones, um, number one best-selling author of the uh, book, The Business Leader Combat, uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. And as uh, Tom said, uh, John Maxwell certified uh, uh, business and executive coach. And you can be found at... And I can be found at uh, AndreasAJones.com. Amazing. Now, our guest today is someone I've known of uh, for more than I care to admit. Uh, probably 25 <laughs> to 30 years that I've known of Jim Cathcart when I first read his book, uh, Relationship Selling. Uh, Jim Cathcart is one of the most award-winning professional speakers on earth literally on earth as the past president of the national speakers association and a veteran of 40 years as a full-time professional speaker he's delivered over 3,000 talks around the world written 18 books and last night he returned from a lecture tour of china and taiwan he's also a singer songwriter uh, guitarist and just released his first album, Fireside Songs, which he recorded in Taiwan last month. Jim is a mountain trail runner, motorcycle enthusiast, and a high-energy guy who is committed to helping others succeed. Welcome to the show today, Jim. Thank you, Tom. Great to be with you. I like the uh, singer, songwriter, guitarist, and motorcycle part as much as the uh, president, the past president of national speaker. I do, too. Yeah, yeah. Listen for a background sound. I'm never very far from a guitar. I've seen that wow. about you awesome. in in some posts. I've seen other things about you with your guitar, and not a lot of speakers put those cool things that they do in their real life uh, into their bio. So thank you for sharing those with us. It's uh, I have a number of young people who play the guitar, uh, children of friends of mine, and. Boy, I wish with my arthritis, it's hard with my hands to uh, play guitar. So that's quite a blessing to be able to play it. And you're always welcome at any party when you can pull out a guitar and uh, strum a few songs for the crowd. That's, that's for sure. Absolutely. So, uh, Andreas, you can uh, follow up. You can fire away with the first question. And uh, uh, maybe we'll talk about Jim's uh, China tour. Hey Jim, so tell us a, a little bit about your a little bit about your China tour. 
Well, I had a chance because of Dr. David Chu, a man that owns a lecture bureau in, in uh, China, to join his little boutique band of, of authors last year. And he brought me over for a uh, um, series of lectures. And um, he only represents 10 people. So that's kind of cool. It, it makes it very special. Um, he... He has Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, uh, Jay Abraham, John Gray, who wrote Mars and Venus in mm -hmm. A Minute from Mars, um, Bob Proctor, wow. Roger Dawson, the negotiations expert, um, Mark Victor Hansen of Chicken Soup for the Soul, and me. Wow. Oh, and he has Joe Girard. Joe Girard's a, a, a longtime salesman. Wow. He's still speaking? Yeah. yeah, he's still speaking in his 80s. Wow. Right, that's pretty cool. I interviewed Joe Gerard's one of my most listened to interviews. I'll be darned. What a character he is. <laughs> right, right. Even now, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Once you're a character, you yeah. don't stop being a character. No, no. It, it, one, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I would have liked to buy a ticket for that event in North America. You bet. But I just... Uh, Went back for my second tour, and uh, I was in Taipei, Taiwan, and in uh, Shanghai, China, and did two two-day, you know, full two-day seminars, um, uh, each one six hours long, and I was speaking through interpreters. So I had an interpreter doing um, simultaneous translation in one city where everybody wears a headset, yeah, and then con concurrent translation in the other city where I had to pause after every uh, comment and the uh, uh, interpreter would then say what I just said. Mm -hmm. And so after every, what, every paragraph I had to pause. That's <laughs> a little bit awkward, but a heck of a lot of fun. Right. Did they get any of the jokes? Yeah, they got all the jokes. As a matter of fact. <laughs> oh, you know, it's awesome. interesting when you're doing international like that, Sometimes you uh, you have to say to your um, interpreter, hey, here's a joke I'm going to tell, um, and here's why it's funny. You know, here's why it's funny is something you never have to say in the United States. Right. Say, okay, yeah. Tell the joke, it either works or it doesn't work. Right. right. Yeah. This one, here's why the joke is funny. Oh, and, and, and people say things like, um, you know, yeah. I'm sorry, Jim, but that's, you know, in Chinese, that's just not funny. Right. Uh, how yeah. can we tell it so, so that it is funny? Oh, right. well, yeah, we could say so-and-so. Well, good, do that. Okay. Right. And then uh, I had some fun with them. Um, I was talking with my uh, uh, interpreter. His name's Joseph Juan. And uh, I said, Joseph, I said, just for fun. Uh, say to the audience, the speaker is telling a funny story, but I have no idea how to interpret it. Just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I paused for a minute, and he did that. And then I sat down on the steps of the stage and just laughed with him. And then he told him what I had just done. <laughs> what a kick. <laughs> that would have been a lot of fun. That's having fun yeah. with a live audience. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I... I that's one thing I am is is playful. 
Right. When I spoke in Cambodia, I had the, they had the headset translation, so simultaneous but delayed. And so I did have to, when I told funny things, you had to wait like 10 or so seconds before the yeah. laughing started. <laughs> so you have to yeah. get used to that. It's like a time delay in people listening to your uh, story, but very cool. And so while you were there, you recorded an album. Yes, I did. I recorded an audio album. Uh, I recorded a uh, music album. So sure. it's what I call Fireside Songs. And the way I did it was like you had invited me over for a party and we're sitting out by the pool by a fire pit. Mm -hmm. And I just pick up the guitar and start playing and singing and talking with the the attendees. Yeah. And so on the audio, I say, hey, you know, hi, I'm Jim Cathcart. Welcome to this album. Here's what I'm going to be doing today. And I play some songs that I wrote, one called Resume the Boom, one called Build a Better You. Uh, and then I did a bunch of covers of other people's songs. All I Have to Do is Dream, I Believe mm -hmm. in Music, a song I wrote called Riding Free about motorcycling, Beatles song All My Lovin', uh, mm -hmm. uh, Wagon Wheel, Mama Rock Me, uh, Barbecue, which is a song I wrote, Starry nice. Starry Night, uh, you know, the song about Vincent Van Gogh, I Can't Help Falling in Love with You, Hallelujah, uh, Solitary Man, Time in a Bottle, Lion Eyes, Greenback Dollar, an old folk song, Gentle on My Mind, and Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. So wow. that was a fun album to do. Wow. How come in Taiwan? Just you had the time or there was a recording no, person? No, Taiwan because, because my China client, uh, the one that represents only us 10, yeah. he brought me in and, and uh, you know made, made that an opportunity. Wow. So, wow. Cool. Wow, very cool. Awesome. You, awesome. you get to yeah. tour China and record an album all through the same yeah. guy. Oh, and you ought to see the album. We went into China's astounding. I mean, for the, for our listeners that have who have not been there, put it on your list because oh my god, that <laughs> is amazing. I, we went to a, a city just outside of Shanghai in an area called um, Songjiang, and Songjiang has eight major universities, and wow. nobody's ever heard of it in the United States. Wow. Think about that. Eight major universities, and nobody's ever heard of it in the wow. United States. Most so states don't have really eight. Dumb. Right. Most They're states dead. don't have eight major universities. I know. I know. And um, it also has a city or a town that's kind of like a suburb that is an exact replica of old York, England, with cobblestone streets, and all the old English design and big bronze statues of uh, Winston Churchill and Lady Diana and uh, Shakespeare and things like that around the town square. And except for one major glaring difference, all the lettering is in Chinese. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> in, instead, of, instead of Upstart Crow Pub, it says, go get one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, oh <laughs> right, that place. <laughs> and there's another dead giveaway. When you're walking around this beautiful village, and, 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 you know, it's got a river flowing through it and the little arch bridges and all that. It is just absolutely charming. 
and and it's residential and it's commercial. So it's it's got a village with shops and all that. At the same time, it's surrounded by beautiful old English style homes with gorgeous gardens. And um, and you're walking along and you look over the bronze statue and you say, oh my gosh, that's Harry Potter. Wow, Harry Potter. And then you go around the corner and there's James Bond. Wow. So they just figured, you know, let's figure out what the images of England are that people would identify with, and let's put those in there alongside people like Winston Churchill. Right. Wow. So we awesome. went into a, a wedding studio to have some photographs made for the album because the guy was such a good photographer. We figured we'd go to that studio. There were at least, and I'm not exaggerating, 25 tuples in there having their photograph made in 25 different settings at the same time. Wow. They had rooms that were elegant and rooms that were playful. They had things that looked like outdoors and things that looked like palaces. And, and you're, it's like walking through a Hollywood wow. movie set. Wow. And photographers everywhere and, you know, wedding dresses and, and tuxedos everywhere. And marriage is like the second biggest industry in China. I, I'm saying that just guessing. <laughs> right, no idea. Right, because right. everywhere you go, there are people getting married. Wow. And they really do it right. And they don't take the wedding pictures at the wedding. They take right. the wedding pictures in advance of the wedding. Oh. So oh. you can actually you know, get all dolled up and get it done right and then enjoy right. the wedding. Right. In the United States where you say, okay, well, no, right. don't move. Don't move. Well, right. One more photo. Right. Got, now face to your right for Aunt Ethel's photo. You know. <laughs> and you yeah. got you gotta leave everyone else waiting for dinner for two hours while you go take your photos. Yeah. So they wow. they produced the album and put some gorgeous imagery on there. I sent it to you uh, just recently by Hightail email. Uh, okay. Service. I'm looking forward and, to uh, seeing it. What a great trip yeah. this sounds like. You oh, got it, wait. Was, it was over the top amazing. I was speaking to, to a thousand people eight hours and the around the room are 20 foot tall banners photographs of me and the other speakers <laughs> wow. 20 feet tall well i'm five yeah, foot two so i'd love i'm five foot two i'd love to have a 20 foot tall banner of me <laughs> that'd be the <laughs> tallest i'm ever getting each photo was about 12 feet wide wow, wow. And, of course, it, you know, they've got lights and music soundtracks and stuff like that and a huge screen with uh, – the screen was as large as as a movie theater screen Wow! behind the stage. And so when I would show a slide, it would just take over the whole room. Wow. <laughs> That's and, doing and it I'm big. And I'm standing on stage and dressed in a suit talking with the audience on a runway, you know, like a – like at a uh, award ceremony or something, right. and um, and my interpreter standing right at my shoulder, and during some of the points in the talk, I would uh, deliver my message, and then he'd deliver something, and then I'd turn around and I'd I'd draw attention to him, and I would say something. Isn't my introducer a handsome fella? I mean, don't you really like what this guy? Let's give Peter Gow a hand, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not used to that. Right. Speakers, speakers typically don't acknowledge the introducer or the uh, interpreter that much. Right. And, uh, I just made him my partner in in presentation. You know. Wow. So awesome. it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Wow. And I played the guitar and sang on stage. 
So when we come to a transition point between topics or or like we're coming up on a break or lunch or bringing them back after lunch, I would grab the guitar and play some rocking tune and get the audience, you know, all clapping along and singing to the extent that they could. Right. So right. I, I've had more fun than it's reasonable for a 69 and a half year old like me to have, and I'm having a blast. Amazing, and that's what so a in quite... September I'll be 70 years old. Woo! Wow. You're getting there, and uh, you're making me feel old because I read uh, the original relationship selling, and I even almost hesitate to ask how long ago that was published. 85. I, I read it. In 85, it was published in 86, and then I rewrote it in 2002 because the original book was written before the internet and before cell phones. Right. Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> wow. I think some, I... Of, some of our listeners are saying, what? Well, there was a time when there was no internet? Right. What? People used to not have cell phones? Right. This guy is that old? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, man, it gets worse. My great-great-grandpa used to have to walk across the room to change a TV channel. <laughs> right. And I think I've listened to you on cassette. So that's some time oh. ago. But that was an amazing book. I still remember the the feelings I had when I read through it, and uh, maybe not every single idea from the book, but often I remember the feeling I had when I read a book, and I was like, wow, this is like a treasure trove right here. Thank you. Well, I was the first to ever write on that topic. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people who wrote on the, the general idea, the concept, but I was the first to, to ever articulate it as relationship selling mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to transactional selling or you know traditional selling or whatever. And the whole point of relationship selling is that a relationship is and should be an asset. If you treat it right, it will be an asset. Treat it wrong, it will be a liability. Um, but if we think of every connection we have with other people as an asset, then we get a lot more serious about how we deal with people and what we do in our follow-through and our delivery of our services or products and our uh, right. showing respect intentionally to the other person and and increasing their desire to want to stay connected with us. Because if, if all we did was be nice to them, that's not relationship selling. That's be nice to people selling. Right, right. And, and mm-hmm. uh, relationship selling assumes, okay, Tom, we're beginning a – career-long relationship. As long as you're in the business of buying the kind of services I sell, I want to stay connected with you as a resource. Right. So how much of your future business do I want? All of it. <laughs> if I can deserve it, you know. Right, if right. If I'm worthy of it. And um, instead of treating this as if I've got to get the maximum profit squeezed out of this one transaction, I say, uh-huh. all right, since we're in this for the long run, I'm going to make a reasonable profit, of course, but but I'm not going to skin you alive. And uh, huh. I'm going to figure I want the business you refer to me from your kids and then your grandkids and your great-grandkids. <laughs> and then we'll start from there. <laughs> exactly. And then we'll start over, yeah. And we'll start over. Uh, amazing. Uh, before we go any further, I want to uh, uh, call out or uh, mention our friend Phil Taylor, Jim. Uh, he's the one who introduced us. He's the creator and host of the 17 Biblical Principles of Success, uh, mm-hmm. the website 
website is 17biblicalprinciplesofsuccess.org. An amazing program. I just got my copy uh, in the mail on Friday. So I'm on holidays this week and I'll be listening to that. Uh, high, highly recommended program, 17biblicalprinciplesofsuccess.org. And uh, you, are, you are one of the people blessed to be, uh, to be on that program. Yes, I am. Thank you. And, I, and the one that I'm on is the reporting on thankfulness, on gratitude, because Ooh. it's such it's such a powerful, powerful thing. And, you know, when you think about gratitude and why it's important, gratitude is, uh, on a, I guess, a psychic level, what magnetism is in the physical world. Ooh. Because gratitude draws to you more of what you're being grateful for. Wow. And, and that... you know, there's a... A biblical passage, it says, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Yeah. Well, a lot mm-hmm. of people a lot of people skip right over that, and they don't realize that the word believing is the, Believe, the yeah. uh, kind of the linchpin of the whole thing. Whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing. Now, right. uh, but take it out of a religious context and just think about it just in a secular sense. When you wish for something, there's two forms of wishing. Hope could be interpreted two ways. One is wishing as a beggar wishes. You know, oh, please, oh, don't hurt me anymore. You know, can, can I have a Cadillac? You know, whatever. You know, that's just begging. Right. And that doesn't do anything for anybody. It just makes you more noticeably weak. Right? Right. But there's another kind of hope. It's like, hey, there's hope. I think I found a way. Well, that's a very, very different kind of, boy, I hope we don't get stuck in traffic. Right. <laughs> right. So an- anticipatory hope is hope with the expectation of fulfillment. So that means mm-hmm. believing that it'll happen. Well, if you're right. praying, for example, and you believe that your prayer will be answered, it's a very different kind of prayer than it's a begging, please don't hurt me. Right. Right. And you're yeah. more likely to take my, action on it. Totally. And my family motto, this I, I think, honest to gosh, I think I was destined to be in the business I'm in as a motivational speaker. My family motto from like the 1300s, long before anyone had an inkling I would ever exist, is an old, it, the Cathcart's a place in Scotland. And so it has a uh, family crest and a motto. And the motto is, I hope, speed. Now, in the like the 13, 1400s, to speed didn't mean ride a horse fast. <laughs> it had a very different mm-hmm. meaning. It meant to prosper. Mm. So my family motto is I expect to succeed. Wow. wow. That's powerful. Yeah. What I mean, a cool family motto. Golly, I couldn't have written that myself any better. Right, a good reminder that maybe families should develop a family motto. Absolutely. Yeah, wouldn't that be a great idea? I think my friend Naomi Rohde, past president of the National Right Association, if she doesn't have a family motto, she probably soon will if she hears this recording, because she's the kind of person that starts every year with a theme for the year. Like this year's theme is gratitude, or next year's theme is is uh, abundance or next year's theme is sharing or whatever. And mm-hmm. and throughout her family and her work, she looks for opportunities to live that theme more fully. And I think that's a, a very inspiring way to be. 
Right. Mm-hmm. There's family crest. Family motto. You know, you just, you've given me an idea, Tom. I'm going to take that on the road. Right. I like that idea. Right. If Develop your, your family, own family. You know, talking, talking to an audience now. If your family had a motto, what would it be? Right. And why? What a yeah. great exercise for a seminar. Right. And yeah. even mm-hmm. even for a, a married couple, sit down and decide. Sure. Yeah, I think I think it's a great idea to get the family involved in the success journey. Absolutely, because if you don't, then it's just your power driving the car. Right. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. And that's, that's a good idea. I, years ago, Og Mandino told a story. He, uh, Og was a friend of mine through the National Speakers Association. He wrote the book, The Greatest Salesman in the World. And uh, he was speaking in, I think it was New Orleans, Louisiana, at a speaker's convention, and he told the story of a man who walked out in his backyard after a big windstorm had blown over his backyard tree the night before. And he saw his little son out there trying to pull his bicycle out from under the tree, but it was trapped. And uh, he said, what's wrong? He said, I can't pull my bike out from under the tree. And he said, well, use all your strength. So the boy put his back into it and really pulled like crazy and still didn't budge. And uh, he said, come on, son, use all your strength. And, and he tried again and no avail. And he finally turned to his dad almost in tears. And he said, dad, I'm using all my strength. I, it just won't move. He said, no, son, you didn't use all your strength. You didn't ask me to help. Wow. Our mm-hmm. strength doesn't live just within us. It lives within everybody we care about and everybody who cares about us. So if we're not mm. tapping into the strength of others, we're cheating them out of the opportunity to help and cheating ourselves out of the benefit that would come from it. Oh, man. Now Isn't that speak- powerful? Now you're speaking yeah. to me, Jim, for sure. I uh, yeah. had, had rheumatoid arthritis since I was five, and for many years I was well known for not asking for help. It would be like a detriment or like an insult for me to ask for help, but... Yeah. Once I once I realize that people love to help other people, and you're depriving them of the blessing that God may have given them to serve you, then it became Absolutely. a lot easier. No, I ask well, all the time. Well said. <laughs> well said, and thank you for sharing that. I know that's very personal, and I appreciate that. Right, but you spoke right to me there. Well, uh, Andreas, uh, I'm pretty lousy here. I'm stealing up all your time. Why don't you gather? Why don't you? Why don't you ask the next question, please? So, Jim, tell us about the um, what is the acorn principle? The acorn principle is that the seed of your future successes already lives within you. Hmm. When you think about it, all that you need in order to be abundantly successful is probably within you right now. You're right. You could so take the word probably is, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a We've got the tools we need. We just need to apply them more intelligently. Now, I'm constantly asking people for feedback. I know I've got the skills and the potential for skills to do the things I want to do, but I don't know that I'm using them well. So like after my speech in Taipei the other day, we walked into the, uh, the speaker's room, you know, what they call the green room, and um, I said, okay, after action review, what worked? Tell me what I did or, or how things went that really made a difference so that we can add to the things that we did right and do the things that we didn't do so well even better next time. Hmm. And that's kind of the ACORN principle. When I wrote the book, The ACORN Principle, it was after about nine years of psychological research 
including a couple of years with a, a team of researchers at the University of Arizona. And um, um, when I wrote the book, I wrote it to be a self-guided tour of you. So as you're reading it, the author, me, intends for you to discover things about yourself that you knew in the past but didn't understand so that you're saying, oh, wow, yes, of course. Well, duh, yeah, (laughs) that makes perfect sense. You know, finally somebody explained it to me. And so that's what the book is all about. Wow, and amazing. Because an acorn, even a seed, seed, uh, the little seed is still uh, an oak tree. It just starts yeah, with a little seed. Yeah, that's the potential. And that's the thing. In the book, and I chose the title for the book uh, at the recommendation of Spencer Johnson, who oh. wrote Who Moved My Cheese. Right. And uh, co-authored okay. the One Minute Manager. Yeah. So Spencer, his office was next to mine in La Jolla, San Diego. And uh, one day I was struggling with the book after several writes and rewrites of the book. And he said, you're calling the book Rethinking Yourself. He said, why don't you take a different approach? Call it the acorn principle. He said, you tell a story about an acorn that's trying to become a redwood and it can't because it's destined to be an oak. Uh, Call it the acorn principle. I said, yeah, but people won't know what that is. And he said, and so they will, I said, uh, pick up the book. And he said, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then they'll open it up to find out what the acorn principle is because it's kind of a, a compelling term. All right. And uh, yeah. sure enough, he was right, and it became an international bestseller. Well, thank you, Spencer. Well, thank you, Spencer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. right. Thank you, Spencer. Your, your, your other title was not nearly as appealing. No, it wasn't. And the one before that was even worse. The one before <laughs> yeah. that, I was trying to be intellectually cute, you know, to have a really clever title. All right. You know how people talk about having second thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Second thoughts are always doubt. You know, oh, I, I'm not right. sure I should have done that. Maybe we're going the wrong direction. I'm having second thoughts on this. Right. Uh, maybe I shouldn't invest, whatever. That's second thoughts. Well, the original title of the book was Third Thoughts. <laughs> uh, okay. So, okay. And, right. and my, my concept was, you know, if, if you have second thoughts and that's doubting yourself, what's beyond that? Right. Well, the third thoughts. thoughts. Right. A return, a return to certainty, but it didn't catch on. So, Ooh. you know, none of the people I presented the book to thought that was particularly cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God for hey, good hey, friends Jim. and mentors. Absolutely. Hey, Jim, you a quick question about your yeah. yeah about your writing style. Do you? Because when I write books. Um, I like I write it to myself, like it's, it's a guide for me and I share it with the world. What's yeah. kind of your approach to, to that? Mine is, is more more of a writing to the reader as an individual. Okay. Uh, so I like to think of the one person, you know, that I'm writing to. Uh, uh, my friend Nito Kubain, who's president of High Point University in North Carolina, a uh, very, very successful professional speaker, multi-multi-multi-millionaire. Uh, right. I've known him since 1977 or 8, when he was just starting as a speaker and a trainer. And uh, Nito says, when I write a book, the first thing I do is I find a person I want to win over with this message. So he, let's say he wants... Uh, um, Ford Motor Company as a client. 
then he might, I'm making this up obviously, but he might make up uh, a, a profile of the president of Ford Motor Company mm. and write the mm. book to that person. Wow. And so when he sends a copy of the manuscript to that person, that person will go, wow. <laughs> wow. So, like it was written personally okay. for me. Well, dude, it was, you know. Right, and, right. <laughs> But at so, the same time, there's thousands like yeah. him in big corporation executives. That exactly. So if he's work. writing it to the president of a major corporation, let's say Ford, then who else is a prospect? Every other major automobile manufacturer. Right. And, Absolutely. And John Deere Corporation, because they make vehicles. Right. You know, more, and, and then you go on and on and on, and there are a whole lot of prospects. And right. then mm-hmm. again, he could... He could write it in such a way that it's not only specific to the automobile industry, but that he puts in plenty of examples that show it applies to any large enterprise. Right. And now every major corporation on earth is his prospect. Right. Especially their CEOs and presidents. Yeah. And and my books tend to be written for the for the salesperson or the, the entrepreneur or the uh, small business owner. So I, right. I don't write it for corporate enterprises so much as I write it for the individual practic- practitioners right. who work within that enterprise. And you're, you're okay. speaking and writing right to my audience because being a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and small business people involved in that. I get uh, website visits from over 130 countries every month, not because they're looking for me. They're looking for Napoleon Hill stuff. And so one question I love to ask Jim is like, is there someone special in your life who said, who cared about you enough to say, Jim, I really think you should read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Absolutely. And I remember vividly, what's interesting is you told me you were going to ask that question. And you caused me to remember the guy who introduced me to the book for the first time. And I haven't thought about him in 40 or 50 years. Wow. His name was Dick Richard Dick Cross in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I worked for Investors Diversified Services, IDS. Uh, we sold mutual funds and life insurance. Mm-hmm. And he was my sales coach. And uh, a guy named Monty Martin, and before him, a guy named um, Bill Graham. Uh, those were the managers, but they had told Dick, take on this young fellow, this rosy cheek kid, Cathcart, and teach him to sell. And I went to, uh, went on sales calls jointly with him, and I remember going to a discussion group, kind of like in a church, they would have Bible discussions mm-hmm. around the living room. Well, this was a discussion group around Think and Grow Rich. Wow. And we, yeah, we sat in the living room in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1970 and talked wow. about Think and Grow Rich. Wow. And then years later, I had the privilege of working with W. Clement Stone, who had been the personal manager of Napoleon Hill. Right. And, and then he introduced me to Og Mandino, who was the president of Success Unlimited magazine at the time. Right. And working for Napoleon Hill, and I got to know Og better than Mr. Hill. But one time I was at an event, and uh, I was sort of the host or escort for Mr. Uh, not Hill, but uh, W. Clement Stone. And um, 
and we went around to this expo area where there were some booths set up, and in one of those booths was Ogmandino. And I said, Og! And he said, hey, Jim, good to see you. And then he turned to Debbie Clement Stone, and he said, he said, boss, that phone's for you. (laughs) 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 Right, interruptions while you're on vacation. Uh, Amazing, and as... As we know, again because I want, right. to, I want to be able to fill that gap. Right. We walked around the corner and we saw Og Mandino in this booth, and Og turned to W. Clement Stone and said, "Hey, boss, this is Jim Cathcart. He's a great writer." That's me. Og Mandino called me a great writer. I mean, well, it may have been just a courteous me. thing to do. Right. But oh my word, the impact it had on me. Wow. Right. Wow. Mandino calling you a great author. I would have just walked yeah. home. I would have felt like three feet taller. <laughs> and at five foot two, it's nice to feel three feet taller. Yeah. Well, years later, I went to Ogmandino's home for an event. And his wow. wife, Betty, met me at the door. And she said, Jim, Og has your book in his desk. And I said, well, thank you. She said, no, no, Jim, Og. Agmandino, one of the most successful authors on earth, has your book in his desk. I said, wow. thank you. She said, no, you still don't get it. She said, Og has maybe three books in his desk. And one of them is the, I'm filling this part in myself, first book I ever wrote for publication, which was a workbook to go with a series of inspiring audio tapes. Right. Uh, w. Clement Stone's personal success series was the title of it, and I wrote the workbook for it in the 1970s. And it, it summarized and gave worksheets to go with Think and Grow Rich, As a Man Thinketh, um, the Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude, you know, things like that. Wow. And uh, Odd kept that book in his desk for most of his adult life. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I like got that before, I got that before he even explained it in his desk like I'm sure he had a bookshelf or many bookshelves but yeah but in wow, how desk. many do you keep in your desk exactly so I feel very very privileged to have been where I've been and to have met the people I've met wow. and had mm. a chance to become their friend Debbie right. Clement Stone and I served on a couple of committees together and you know, I've, I've known, well, Zig Ziglar was a good friend. We went to church together, went jogging together. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, Charlie Tremendous Jones, you remember him? My favorite, my favorite actual well, I was Tremendous was a good friend of mine for many years, and I was at his bedside just before he passed away in his home and prayed with him. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And... Uh, he said something to me as I was leaving his bedside that for him just, it seemed so natural, you'd take it at face value. He said, I'll see you in the morning. And so the the implication was that he would meet me for coffee the next day. Right. But he couldn't. He was completely <laughs> bedridden and, and about to die. Right. What he meant was in the spiritual morning. Oh. Wow. And, uh, gee, talk about oh. touch your heart inspiring. Oof. Wow. Um, for sure. I'm a big fan yeah. of his daughter, Tracy Jones, and Tremendous Life Yeah. Books. Oh, she is She is such a kick. Such and, a kick. Right. And um, a great, uh, great lady. And then, of course, anytime someone mentions W. Clement Stone, I'm excited because he actually funded 
the Napoleon Hill Foundation. The Napoleon Hill Foundation right. has a, they have an office right at uh, Purdue University in Calumet, and they have one right on campus at University of Virginia at Wise, and W. Clement Stone Money uh, provided those locations and funded the foundation. So all Napoleon Hill Foundation fans uh, owe a great debt to W. Clement Stone for doing that. that I went to his office. He wrote, of course, the book Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. Right. And, uh, and uh, PMA, that's what he was known for. PMA, Positive <laughs> Mental Attitude. And he had his hair <laughs> slicked back on his head, and he had that little almost penciled-on mustache. Uh, but what an amazing guy. And, and uh, one thing I got from him was the concept of do it now. Right. You know, and I, that stuck with me in the 1970s and, and all the way to this day. And one thing that my wife can tell you is I never have a list of honeydews at home. When she oh. says, hey, Jim, there's a light bulb out in the laundry room, but um. I fix it. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, there's never a list because I do it now. Right. And the same thing, you know, I, you know, gosh, I really ought to call Tom Cunningham because I, I think I was rude to him the other day and I owe him right. an apology. Do so it, yeah. uh, we'll do it now. Pick up the phone for heaven's sakes. You know? Right. I have Whatever that embedded in my brain too. Like it's like, yeah. just, it just comes automatically. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. I went to his office in Chicago yeah. and, uh, a couple of distinctive things about it. Uh, he had a bust of, of Abraham Lincoln on his desk as a sort of a mentor inspiration thing. He also had a, a three-level chess set, three levels you know, wow. stacked up, and on every level was imprinted his photograph. <laughs> it, wow. it, it was done in an artistic way, but what a weird thing to have. Right. His bathroom, his bathroom, he had a private bathroom off his office, had imported pigskin floor tile. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was like walking on a football. Imported pigskin. I mean, like domestic pigskin. Not enough. But <laughs> wow. I've never seen that before. Never, never, never even heard yeah. of that before. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty unique. Uh, Remarkable guy. Amazing man. Now, uh, Jim, when I'm reading your bio, I think even when I'm reading your website, I don't read, like, do you, I don't read a lot of, a lot of speakers like, he graduated from Harvard University with three masters and 14 MBAs. And, That's correct. Right, but uh, <laughs> do you have any... Uh, these special credentials or great I do. I have, I have two and a half years at, at uh, Little Rock University. Wow. And I have a year, a year at Arkansas State Teachers College. Wow. That in a case of a bag of donuts will get you about five bucks. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. I'm... I always, in, early in my career, felt very uh, uncomfortable about that. Gee, I should have finished and gotten my degree and all that. Because I, I, I was partners with Dr. Tony Alessandra for about five years. Wow. And Tony, of course, has his Ph.D. and all this from, you know, Notre Dame and and um, the University of Connecticut and Georgia State University. And and uh, so he was hyper-educated where I was under-educated uh, academically. Wow. 
But I had done so much self-study and so much, participated in so many seminars and read so many books and collaborated with so many other success seekers that I was certainly getting an education, but it wasn't a formal education. And so a lot of mm-hmm. doors were not open to me that would have been open to you or to Tony or someone else who had graduated from mm-hmm. from a university. Well, today I've, I've sat on three different university boards. Um, I'm an advisor to the School of Business at California Lutheran University uh, School of Management, and I've been a, the advisor to the School of uh, Business at Pepperdine University and also the University of Akron in in uh, Ohio. I've written college textbooks on selling. I've lectured wow. at universities around the world. I have many of my books being used as an actual classroom text in colleges and universities. I was appointed artist in residence at High Point University and did 11 events in two days the last time I was there on their campus. Um, so, nope, don't have any academic credentials. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when, when people are saying, well, what can I do? I don't even have a college degree. Well, right. nah, neither do I, you know. Right. Uh, but I, I have in my industry, my, my field of, of professional speaking, mm-hmm. I have earned every designation that exists for a professional speaker, and I've received literally every major award in the entire industry in the world. Right. So I've wow. I've been inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame. I've been inducted into the International Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame in London. Uh, I've I've been past president of the National Speakers Association. Received the Cavett Award for a lifetime of service to the speaking industry. The Golden Gavel Award from Toastmasters International, mm-hmm. which my mentor Earl Nightingale and Zig Ziglar and and um, Walter Cronkite, for heaven's sakes, you know, Anthony Robbins and people like that have received um, Lifetime Achievement Award and on and on and on. I've been so blessed and so privileged. Um, and, and in no case have I campaigned to get any of those awards. Wow. So the awards have always come to me, not because I've been networking or lobbying right, or something right, and right. get one. Right. And uh, that's uh, quite a testament. And actually, um, you have to, I think, get to number 11 on the list of the Forbes wealthiest people before you get to someone who graduated from a college or university. So, Is that uh, right? Yeah. Right. In the yeah. top 10, I don't think there's any. That's, I love that. Right. Yeah, and wow. so I, just, I love that. Yeah, I just saw an infographic that 80% of the world's billionaires don't have a college degree. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> right. 80%? 80%. 80% of them don't have a college degree. Wow. You know and what so I, that... I think you'll find on the on the really, really rich people, you know, the, the billionaires and mega billionaires, mm-hmm. almost every one of them started out dirt poor. Right. right. I know two billionaires. Uh, right here in California, there are two their personal acquaintances of mine, and uh, in both cases, they started out very broke and and uh, desperate. Right, and so this uh, whole question and the answers are speaking to people who, like the question was, well, I don't have any special credentials or education. How am I going to be the top in my field at this or this field or that field? 
study that field till you're blue in the face forever, every day, yeah. passionately, devotedly, as much as you can, and you will end up around and working with the greatest people on the planet in your field. Absolutely. When I was in high school, I was an average student. I graduated number 176 out of 430. So clearly not a, a leader, you know, in, in any way academically. And never have I been deemed in early in my career to be really smart or, or uh, gifted or, you know, ought to be in the special program or something like that. Uh, I was always just, I was Jim, nice guy. Dad's mm -hmm. a telephone repairman, mom's a housewife. You know, lives an ordinary life, probably mm -hmm. be a good neighbor, but uh, don't expect any great things out of it. <laughs> when I was in the Army, you know, I, I went to Officers Candidate School and, and uh, served a couple of years and didn't like the experience I had because I was reporting to some incompetent people and, and the people above them were letting them to remain incompetent. Mm -hmm. And so I decided it would be smarter to get out than to stay in. One of my high school classmates became the supreme commander of Allied forces in uh, Europe. Wesley oh, Clark, wow. General General Wesley Clark. You know, so uh, yeah. I had plenty of people around me that became big deals, but I wasn't expecting to do that. And then I heard Earl Nightingale on the radio back in the 70s, and he said, if you'll spend an hour a day studying one field, the same field for five years, in five years, you'll be a national expert on that. And I said, well, that, I, even I could do that. Right. And sure enough, yeah. <laughs> by studying the field of personal development, I've, you know, now I've written 18 books. I've been all over the world. I'm, I'm doing speeches even in China. You know, right. two weeks before China, I was in London speaking at a, wow. a sales innovation expo conference. Wow. And um, I've been on all the big stages. You know, I've spoken as the opening keynote speaker for the Million Dollar Roundtable in the life insurance industry. Nice. I've, I've spoken for major conferences for all the other um, groups you can imagine. And Toastmasters International, there's two or 300,000 people worldwide. Every year they give one award to the uh, uh, person that, that, that's not a Toastmaster that they would like to acknowledge. And let me read you some of the names on the list of Golden Gavel winners. I got the Golden Gavel the, the year 2001. Mm -hmm. I'm the millennial recipient. But here goes, here goes the list. Um, I'm going to go back quite a ways. Lowell Thomas, writer, commentator, lecturer, 1964. Walter Cronkite, 1969. Cabot mm -hmm. Robert, founder of the National Speakers Association. Um, Earl Nightingale, 76. Dr. Robert Schuler, Bob Richards, Kenneth McFarland, Dr. Joyce Brothers, Mark Russell, uh, Art Linkletter, Wayne Dyer, uh, Tom Peters, Ken Blanchard, uh, Les Brown, Anthony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Jeannie Robertson, Zig Ziglar, Nito Kubain, Jim Cathcart. Wow. <laughs> That's a nice list to be on. <laughs> Yeah, wow. and that was just up to the year 2001. Right. Wow. Let's uh, have one last question, Jim, and let's talk about, and I've noticed it, I think others have noticed it, 
Oh, I think I know the answer, but let's see what you have to say. What has made your life so different than other people, maybe other speakers? Because uh, you seem different as a person than some that I know. What I got more than anything, the idea that I got more than anything else, is this one. And I, I think your old Nightingale was probably the one that gave me this idea the most uh, clearly. If you will develop the qualities of the kind of person you'd like to be, then you will attract to you all of the people and experiences that you would like to have in your life. But if you want to hang out with uh, world leaders in your field, then you've got to cultivate in yourself the quality, uh, the qualities of a world leader in your field. And otherwise, the people are, that you want to hang out with are going to say, nah, he, he or she is just not, not like me. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's not one of our kind of people. But once you mm-hmm. start acquiring those qualities, you don't have to have the big successes. You just got to have like an intense interest in helping other people succeed or, or be absolutely voraciously hungry for new learning or be willing mm-hmm. to change yourself in order to become a better person or a more successful person or whatever. Be a person of integrity, of discipline, of, of, of focus. Mm-hmm. And other people will say, I want to be around you. Because that's the thing. It's not who you know that counts. <laughs> it's, not who know, it's not who knows you that counts. It's not mm-hmm. who they know that counts. Here's what counts. Who's glad they know you? Wow. Mm. Right. There's one thing so between knowing someone energy. and being being glad you know someone and knowing yeah, someone. Yeah, focus your energies on being the kind of person that is always looking for a way to make others glad that they know you. And that will never come from better talking. It'll come from better listening and better helping. Right. Wow. Now, what I thought was different is that your authenticity, uh, your just genuinely still Jim Cathcart, you know, uh, motorcycle. And willing, to, willing to admit my warts and flaws. Right, and you know, share and not, share some uh, cool hobbies. Right, and yet share some motorcycle, guitar playing, singing, musician. Um, that's not, I haven't, I've done hundreds of interviews and nobody's talked about the cool things they do in their personal life like that. Has, it, has anyone done this? <laughs> wow. Wow. An impromptu concert from uh, Jim Cathcart. Amazing. Well, that's, you know, my new, my new uh, audio is called Fireside Songs because it's done like it's a living room concert at your house. And I spend a lot of my weekends in the summer by firesides, uh, in fire pits, and with a guitar player present and uh, singing loudly and horribly. <laughs> and proud to do so. And, pr- and som- sometimes I make up the words, sometimes I just hum along the words I don't know. But there at you least you, you always know what song it is, at least, more from the guitar player than from me singing it. You know what they call it when you make up the words? What's that? Songwriting. 
There you go. I'm a budding songwriter. <laughs> you can, you can add yes, that you to your are. bio, Tom. You can add a songwriter to your right. bio. You're right. There you go. Well, thanks and so don't much. Worry about, don't worry about how well you sing either, because some of the best songwriters have not been particularly good singers. There you go. There's hope for me yet. They asked me not even to hum along in church, you know. I'm so bad. I have to apologize <laughs> to the people in front of me for the bad singing before the service starts. <laughs> <laughs> Give them a chance to move if they need to. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being with us today, uh, Jim. What an honor. Uh, I was a little nervous. You know, I don't get to speak to Hall of Fame speakers all the time. So this well, is quite an you. honor. Thank you for being on the 17 Biblical Principles of Success. You got one of the great principles there to to, to talk about thankfulness and, and gratitude. And uh, we're in, we live in North America, man. Four out of ten people in the world live on less than two dollars a day, and we're no nicer than them. So we should be wow. eternally grateful that we get to live in a first-world country when four out of ten people in the world aren't eating every day. Amen. So, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Andreas, thank you, for joining me. Yeah. Uh, pre- well, appreciate it, so. everybody. Have yourself an opportunity. Have an amazing day, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtootall.com for details.